0: Supernatural
1: is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your
0: hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa.
2: Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, here to talk with you about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And sometimes we're going to have to wait for the Red Sox, as we did tonight. Now, uh, in the past, you're probably used to, as soon as the game ends, uh, hearing us jump right in with the program. And now, uh, the way that the station is set up now, we have to wait for the entire post game to run. So just stick with us uh, each week, as the Sox are playing a lot of 7 o'clock games this summer on Saturday nights we will be on right afterward and if it starts to get you know too close to our our quitting time and uh, the game runs a little bit too long we'll let you know uh, through our twitter feed and through spooky south coast tv if we're going to be uh, canceling the show for that evening so you can always just join us on twitter at twitter.com/spookysc or justin.tv/spooky south coast and you can get to both of those through spookysouthcoast.com, and that's where you'll be able to keep up to date with exactly what's going on. But we are going to plan shows each week, and as long as uh, we can, you know, get on relatively early, you know, we don't want to get too close to our bedtime. Uh, plus, it's not fair, guys. Is is we've experienced in the past, you know, to set up things with a guest to to plan a show, to know what we want to talk about, and then come in here and only have you know 20 minutes in which to do a show. It's not really fair to the guest or us. Well, we'll come in and we'll just sit here and talk for 20 minutes at any given time. That's fine with us. Uh, but, you know, we want to make sure that we're giving the get, we're waving to the police as they drive by here because they always, you know, check up on us. Uh, but, uh, We'll try and give you as much content as we can, and hopefully the station can get the the live stream issue set up where we can go online on wbsm.com and spookysouthcoast.com with the program, and then join it in progress over the radio once the socks are over. So. That's the plan. Anyway, we'll see what happens. But we do have a great show planned for you tonight. We have Rob Conover joining us in just a few minutes. Now, Rob is a paranormal investigator. His book is titled Haunted No More. And uh, I just finished it. It's a interesting story uh, about a guy who starts off as a skeptic and becomes not only a paranormal investigator, but a cleaner. And we'll talk with him about that, exactly what's involved in the process of, of cleaning. And it's something that we've not really discussed much here on Spooky South Coast because... I mean, in, in terms of my opinion, I, I'm not really sure I buy the idea of somebody be able, being able to help spirits move over. It's something that I haven't seen firsthand. It's something I haven't experienced. So I'm still, I'll say, skeptical about the idea of somebody being able to tell a spirit to go into the light. I and mean, we can get into the whole thing about how I'm not really sure that ghosts are dead people anyway, but uh, we'll we'll, <laughs> save, <laughs> we'll save that for later on. But, Matt Moniz, have you worked in the past with cleaners, people who can help spirits move into the light?
3: Yeah, I've worked with people in the past that have um claimed to be able to cross these spirits over. Many of them are you'll find a lot of them of a new age type of belief. Uh but then again, you also have the people that, you know, do exorcisms and stuff like that. It's not that different, True. if you think about it.
2: Uh, I mean, a, a good friend of the program, Chris Oliver, she has this ability and, and I take her at her word. I believe that she really does think that she's doing this, but, and just in my opinion, I, I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it myself. So I'm not really sure, you know, how it all works. I think maybe if you make a spirit self aware of the fact that it is a spirit, maybe then it might dissipate or go away. But I mean, Rob, can see the light, and, and other people who do this work can see the light when this happens, and, and they've had others that have experienced, so we'll talk with him about that. And, of course, we'll take your calls all night long, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. You can also email us during the program, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and if you want to join in on the TV slash coast uh, TV viewing, where we have the actual camera in studio and you can see everything that's going on. We've got a great wide shot tonight where you can see all three of us. You can kind of see Matt Costa doing a little bit of work over there in the corner. He's going to peek around for you. And if you want to post questions up in the chat room there as well, uh, we can get to them through the computer and we can read them on to Rob as well. And uh, remember that when... We're talking about a lot of this stuff. You know, a few weeks ago, we had Dr. Louis on, and he talked about his feelings about the Catholic religion, and he, he basically slammed the Catholic religion. And we did have a, a loyal listener who called up and, and had, took issue with what Dr. Turry was saying. Now, tonight, we're going to be going kind of in the opposite end of things. Rob is uh, very uh, devoted in his belief. In God and, and in his religion, and he takes a Bible with him through through these cleansings, and so we're going to talk about that into things. And likewise, you know, we're not trying to offend those who don't believe. Our job isn't to offend. Our job is to inform and to let you decide how it is that you take the information. Uh, so just keep that in mind. I don't I don't want anybody to get upset. I don't want anybody to think that we're you know crapping all over their beliefs because everybody's entitled to their own beliefs or we're,
3: expo- expounding another.
2: Yeah, we're we're not trying to make you think one way or another we just want to give you the information uh, to dwell upon and make your own decisions i i do find that you you get far less phone calls when you're call when you're speaking in support of something religious than you do when you're talking against it so but hey for all we know you know we could be upsetting somebody's belief by saying that spirits can cross over i know some people say hey they're stuck here some people say you know if they choose not to go into light the first time you know that's it you had your shot I've heard that belief, and, and we'll talk with Rob about why that isn't true in his experiences. So, uh, Matt, why don't we take a break? Uh, when we come back, we'll get Rob on the phone, and we'll speak with Rob Conover, author of Haunted No More. You can go to his website, robconover.net, to order the book. It's also linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well. So we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Ah, yes, Ghostbusters. And, and Matt Costi, you had some news this week regarding Ghostbusters.
4: The uh, the movie is confirmed by Dan Aykroyd, which I'm the thrilled about. Ghostbusters 3? Yeah.
2: And do you know anything about if it's going to be that Ghostbusters go to hell uh, storyline that they've been kicking around for the last few years?
4: I think that was all just a rumor. But, but.
2: the original Ghostbusters are coming back, right?
4: That's what I hear. It's which, not, not he,
2: this... Even Ernie Hudson. <laughs> <I know.
4: His laughs> Big bigger Big is back.
2: Bigger. And you know, uh, we were we were talking about this uh, earlier in the week too. But uh, it seems like you know every young star in Hollywood has been attached. Every young comedian, young comedy uh, star, has been attached to this movie at some point. Like for,
4: whoever's hot at the time. Yeah, for ben Stiller was for a while. Chris Rock. Jack Black, I think. yep,
2: and now it's now it's Seth Rogen, yep. Michael Sarah. You know all <laughs> the all the uh, Jed Apatow guys. So, nah, uh, just stick with the originals and and go uh, with that. There's no need to create a next generation of Ghostbusters. We're already here. <laughs> and we're ready. We're available. Guys, uh, when you're filming the movie, you know, just give us a call. All right, well this is Memorial Day weekend and, and while we take time out to remember those who are no longer with us, we have a guest tonight who actually can speak with those and, and and find out what's going on with them and help them move on to the other side. Rob Conover has been working in the paranormal field for almost two decades. What began as an interest when he was still a private investigator grew, and as he honed his skills at local haunts long before they were reality shows teaching people how to do it. Although he has always approached the spirit world with a critical mind, he struck up a relationship with nationally known psychic Greta Alexander, and when an accident left him with the ability to speak and understand ghosts, Rob turned from investigator to guide. He now spends his time helping people, both living and dead, find the peace that they need. Through his work, he's able to send spirits through the light to be with God, and through his psychic readings, he's able to help his clients find peace in their lives. He's appeared on many television shows, including Sightings, Scariest Places on Earth, A Haunting, Mysterious Journeys, and now he joins us tonight here on Spooky South Coast. Good evening, Rob. How are you?
1: I'm good. It's good to be here.
2: Oh, well, it's great to talk with you and and I've been following your career of course in the interest of full disclosure we should mention, you know, Rob is a client of Power Relations which I am uh, involved with. <laughs> we got to get that out of the way. But and you know, I I'd, I'd heard of your name, Rob, and I'd heard of some of the cases that you worked on, but when I picked up Haunted No More and I started reading through it and I realized, you know, this is a story of somebody who was not a, necessarily a believer at first, and definitely not somebody who had these gifts all along and felt, you know, compelled to find a way to use them. It kind of happened to you all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, I, I was kind of pushed into it. That's the way I look at it. I, like you said, I, I got out of the Marines. I became a private detective. I had no interest in, uh, I did not believe in ghosts. I did not believe in psychics. I laughed at people that did. And, um uh, Life has a way of changing. Here I am almost 20 years later.
2: So, I mean, like many investigators, there was kind of just, you know, that one whim, that one interesting case that you went out on, and that kind of changed your mind.
1: Actually, I went out to prove to people there was no such thing as ghosts.
2: I'm sorry to tell you, I think you failed at that, Rob.
1: (laughs) I did. I did kind of fail at that a little bit. Um, but it wasn't just your normal average everyday people that I was trying to convince. I, I had to deal with people in the courthouse as private detective. And they were telling me about the old healthcare center that people wouldn't work after five o'clock and people were seeing people walking through walls. And, uh, they were actually had already built another healthcare center across the parking lot. And were getting ready to tear this building down. It'd been built in 1894. And, um, It became kind of an obsession with me just to go in there, spend the night, and prove to people there was no such thing as ghosts in there. And uh, like you said, it kind of backfired on me. I I had to go through all these committees, and then when I finally got to go, I had to take two or three people with me because I originally wanted to go alone, just go in the building alone and spend the night. And um, we had some pretty strange experiences that night. We got stuff on videotape I couldn't explain. But even the events of that night, and even the videotape showing doors opening and closing by themselves, and things like that, didn't convince me that it, there wasn't a rational explanation for it. I still had that private eye mind. I was going to prove, you know, what was making all this happen.
2: And and this was in the '90s, before all this television and you know reality programs and all that stuff, right?
1: Exactly. As a matter of fact, uh, when I started doing cases, the people that would call me would say please. I don't want my neighbors to know. I don't want my church to find out. I have to keep this very confidential. Uh, I think they expected me to pull up in the driveway in a a white hearse with a ghost on the side and a red (laughs) circle around it. But uh, it was all very confidential back then. Of course, we didn't have all the TV shows, and we didn't have uh, any of the movies out yet that that made people kind of open up to it a little bit and And decide that people might not think they were crazy. uh, And this was back before anybody thought about, you know, let's let's take this equipment and let's do this. It was just me and my Bible going to these people's houses and dealing with this stuff.
2: And when... You started, uh you know, the process. I, I think, you know, the first couple chapters of Haunted No More kind of should serve as a guideline of how an investigation is done. Because when you started this process, like you said, you had to go before committees. You had to go before, you know, different organizations in order to gain access and to get permission. You didn't just break into some old building. You got permission to do things the right way. And then when you did capture that evidence, you didn't just show it to your friends and say, hey, what do you think about this? You took it to people who were, you know, kind of experts. <laughs> What what was that like? To- I
1: actually took it to shift change at the police department. <laughs> and I thought, if you're going to catch any crap for this, it's going to be from these these guys.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they watched it over and over. It was, it was the videotape of these heavy weather doors opening and shutting by themselves. And uh, they watched it over and over, and they just walked, walked out quietly, shaking their heads. Nobody made a joke or anything. Mm-hmm. And then one of them uh, happened to be the state crime scene investigator who was very good friends with Greg Alexander. And he said, I want you to take this tape, and I want you to show it to Greg Alexander. And I said, you're full of crap. I said, I don't believe in that stuff. She's a wacko. I'm not going to do it. And it took him a while to get me talked into it. And finally, one day, I said, okay, I'll do it. And um, I did notice during this, this investigation of this old building that at certain spots, I would have this very weird feeling. And I would ask other people around me, I said, you feel that? And they would say no. So I quit asking. I didn't want them to think I was crazy. And as Greta was watching the videotape, she she would say, ah, there's there's a spirit of an elderly man there. There's a spirit of an elderly woman there. And I was kind of giggling a little bit watching. Uh, sure. Then it dawned on me everywhere that she said that was where I had had those weird feelings during uh, the investigation. And I told her that. She said, well, that's because you're sensitive to them. And then she Dropped the bomb on me. She said, uh, "By the way, you're going to be doing this the rest of your life." And I said, "Lady, you're full of crap. I have no intentions of doing this the rest of my life. This is a one-time shot." And uh, I still was not really what you call a believer at that point either. And uh, I'd been a private detective for a long time, and then with my brothers, and then they decided to go into different fields. And voila, I'm not a private detective anymore. And I went to work in a machine shop, and uh, I had a very uh, intense accident that removed one of my fingers. Um, it didn't cut it off. I wish it had a. It was caught in a machine and slowly, methodically busted up and then pulled from my hand while I stood there and watched because I couldn't do anything else. Nobody was around. And it was after this accident, uh, while I was sitting in my home, um, that I started having... Uh, Weird dreams, uh, weird thoughts that uh, were very scary to me, um, and then they started coming true. And um, that was uh, a very hard time for me because I had never been afraid of anything in my life. And you could probably tell that by the occupations I had up to this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me to be afraid of something was just unheard of to to me. I loved was going to sit down next to me, and I was going to see them, you know, something horrible happening to happening to them, and I didn't want that. I didn't want any part of it. And Brett um, I- Alexander found out about it, and uh, I had to sit with my hand wrapped up and elevated for the longest period of time. And one day, a lady knocked on my door, and I know Greta Center, and uh, she wanted. I answered the door, and she said, are you Rob? And I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, I want a reading. And I said, what's a reading? <laughs> and she goes, that's where we sit down, and you tell me what you think. And I said, well, ma'am, I'm from Missouri. We call that a conversation. <laughs> and she came in, sat down, I got her some coffee. And the next thing you know, I was telling her things that uh, I couldn't possibly know. And, uh, and one of the things I told her was that she needed to go to a doctor. And she said, no, I don't. I'm fine. I said, no, you're not. And uh, she called me a week and a half later and said they found she was in the pre-cancer stages of ovarian cancer and they caught it soon enough to stop it wow. because she came in soon enough. And so I thought, wow, well, I saved a life here. And uh, so Greta said, I'll tell you what, why don't you come out and just work around the office here and, you know, do what you can with me and learn from me a little bit. And uh, I had at that point, I had not seen a ghost, and I'm in this big computer room that she had, and it wasn't unusual to see people walking through her house because she was always having something done, and everybody was gone, and I'm sitting there, and I'm putting data in this computer for her with one hand, and uh, there was a spiral staircase, I'll never forget it, that went down into the basement in that room, and this man walked up the staircase, and... <clears throat> Never forget what he looked like. He had uh, silver gray hair, slick back, big thick black glasses, a little cigar in his mouth. Pleasant looking fella. And, and he smiled. I said, how you doing? And then he slowly faded away in front of me. Wow. And um Fred, husband at the time came in. And I said, uh, Rob, I, I think I saw a ghost. And he was really like it was nothing. He said, uh, what did they look like? And I told him, and he went and got this picture and said, is that him? And I said, yeah, that, that's uh, that's him. And uh, he said, that's Greta's first husband, Ed. And uh, Greta come in and talked to me and said they had made some kind of deal before he died where whoever died first would wait for the other one, and they'd go through the light together.
2: Well, that must not be comfortable for her second husband.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, I don't think a lot of things were comfortable for her second husband. Uh, and dealing with Greta, because Greta was, Greta was a fantastic uh, person. I mean, she, some of the things that uh, she was able to do, helped the police department out quite a bit, things like that. But uh, I don't think uh, her second husband ever grasped what she actually did and what it did to her physically and emotionally. And uh, But anyway, that, that was my first experience, actually seeing and talking to a spirit. And then uh, when the investigation started, Um, And and the reason that I I, I don't uh, try to make anybody change the way they think about anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I just tell people what happened to me and what I believe. Um, You know, don't believe it. Don't believe something just because Rob Conover said it. Believe it when you see it. But I believe in my heart that through the accident, I believe that sometimes, and this is my scientific point of view, that when people go through a very traumatic physical and emotional um, thing, sometimes a little part of the brain that we don't use gets popped open. That gives us a little more insight to the spirit world. And some people walk around thinking they're very intuitive when they actually have that gift. They just don't know it and don't know how to build on it. And I think that's what happened to me. I think God pushed me in that direction by giving me that accident that caused that to happen.
2: I'm sure at the time, though, you you didn't feel that way. I'm sure at the time you were wondering, you know, why did this happen to me? How long did it take between the accident before you fully embraced the fact that, you know, this is what you were meant to do?
1: Well, uh, actually, you have, uh, before the accident happened, I was getting phone calls and uh, letters from people telling me their ghost stories, asking me to come to their house. And I just kept telling them I don't do that. That's not what I do. And then after the accident and all this started happening, I started thinking, and especially after the lady's visit, I started thinking maybe this is what God wants me to do. And I um, actually had a meeting with my family, and it was quite a long time um, after the accident and everything. And, and it was a very stormy morning. I'll never forget it was Saturday morning. It was very stormy. It was getting ready to, to storm. It was dark outside. And I said, uh, you know, I, I brought it up and, and said, "Is this what I'm supposed to do? Or what do you think?" And my son, Brad, at the time, he said, uh, "Well, you know, if this is what God wants you to do, He'll give you a sign." And about that time, sunlight came through every window in the house, went right to the center of the room, and stayed for about two seconds, and then boom, it was dark again. And my son said, "I think that's a sign." <laughs> so that's and, and I never advertised. I, I never advertised. People just found me, and I always kind of figured that when a person found me, when people would call me and say, "Would you come to our house? We've got this problem," I always figured it was the reason I was going was because it was time and time for that spirit to move on.
2: And at a time when you know there wasn't websites and you know all these MySpaces and everything where people can find paranormal investigators. You know, I'm sure that many of the time you you were getting calls from people who had, you know, legitimate serious cases and there was a lot less of, you know, the I might have a ghost type of thing. You were probably getting people that were, you know, in states of despair.
1: I was getting serious phone I was getting phone calls from men who had protected and defended their families and provided for their families all their life. And now they're up against something they don't understand and they've got to call another man in to take care of this problem for them. But what what we really need to remember and always understand is when when people are asking for help in in this situation, you have to remember you're dealing with people's emotions. But when I come into a house where the husband and wife are arguing, the children aren't sleeping in their rooms, there's all this heavy tension, there's all this emotional upset, you have to be very careful how you deal with these people. And if you can't actually help them, you have to be honest and upfront. Say I can do this. I can get you evidence. I can get maybe something on film. I can get some EVPs. But that's about it. So you have to make sure that you're honest with them, so that they understand exactly what you can and can't do.
2: I mean, the worst part is when you're going in there to to do an investigation and maybe a cleansing, and you know they're expecting marriage counseling out of the deal at the same time.
1: <laughs> well, actually, if everything goes right, the marriage counseling is not necessary. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let's hope. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of things can be said <laughs> in the heat of uh, in the heat of these situations. But
1: well, you you got Like I said, you have got a man that doesn't know how to deal with it. You have got a woman that's uh, disturbed because her children are upset. You know, there's there's a there's a lot going on there. But for some reason, um, when I go into a house and I, I sit down and I start talking with these people, uh, within five minutes they feel like they've known me for a long time, and I feel like I've known them. They're ready to do whatever's necessary to get this done. And I've always, I've always uh, um, been proud of that fact that, that nobody, after, after talking to me on an interview, nobody has ever said, okay, we've changed your mind, we don't want you here. You know, and that's almost 20 years I've been doing this, and every time it's, it's been okay.
2: That's a that's a great vote of confidence. We're actually uh, up against the news break here uh, because of the the Red Sox made a start late, so uh, we have to take a break in just a minute for the network news. But when we come back, we'll talk more with Rob Conover. We'll al- also have the Week in Weird with some interesting stories coming up uh, regarding a mysterious hum and what's happening with religious visions. Why, why are we having them? Why do these happen? And this is something we can talk about a little bit later on with Rob as well, uh, cause I'm, I'm sure this has come across in his research. Uh, we'll also take your calls, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, if you'd like to ask Rob a question or share an experience that you've had with the paranormal. Uh, you can also email us, spookycrew at com. Uh, You can send us messages on Twitter, twitter.com slash spookysc. And, of course, we have the studio camera up and running on spookysouthcoast.com. You can click on the link to Spooky TV. You'll see it right there as well. So when we come back, we'll do the Week in Weird. Uh, We'll also tell you about a new paranormal program that you can watch from your computer that you're not going to want to miss. I mean, this is some great stuff from a good friend of the program here. We'll tell you about that, and we'll tell you a little bit more about what's coming up in the paranormal world around here as well. There's some some great stuff going on coming up this summer that you're not going to want to miss. If you're interested in getting involved in the paranormal, as Rob once was, these might be the uh, cases that get you out there and get you to become a believer. So we'll be right back after the news with more here on Spooky South Coast.
1: Spooky South Coast is back. Actually, in reality, I am Charles Bronson. Here's more of Spooky
3: South Coast. No belly, this ain't over. I can smell your
0: I'm not afraid. You will. Supernatural or something that isn't supposed
2: to happen, Oh, what? You people would pay to hear what it is that we're talking about. <laughs> During the commercials and the news breaks here on Spooky South Coast. With Spooky TV, you can actually see what's going on. But, uh, you don't really privy to exactly what the conversations are. So you get to piece together your own story. So I'm sure they're coming up with some great, uh, some great ideas over there. And of course, we did dance for them as requested. So, uh, you know, you ask, you shall receive. Well, I said before the, uh, the break, and we will get back into our discussion with Rob Conover in just a bit, but before the break, I mentioned a new paranormal TV show that you can watch on your computer. And the name of that show is 30 Odd Minutes, and it's hosted by our friend and frequent Spooky South Coast co-host, Jeff Belanger. If you want to check out the show, it's available uh, through Jeff's site, ghostvillage.com, but also on the new website just for the show, 30oddminutes.com. That's the number 30 Odd, O-D-D Minutes.com, And the show is a great concept because basically what Jeff is doing is he's using all the technology that's out there to create a television show. So instead of, you know, doing a uh, the kind of TV show where he sits at a desk and, and talks to somebody over the phone or has to have somebody in the studio with him, he's using video conferencing technology to be able to bring guests in from wherever they are. And on his very first episode, he has our friends from SoulSmack, uh, Paul Tate and Andrew Barnes, and they're actually his guests from, you know, their location in Maine, beamed into his studio, and it works out great. And, of course, Jeff is a terrific host, and it's a a very funny show, a very informative show. We highly recommend it. The next episode should be coming out, I believe it was June 4th or June 3rd, is the next episode of 30 Odd Minutes. But for right now, check out the Soul Smack episode. You can go to 30oddminutes.com and also it's right there on the front page of ghostvillage.com. And I also mentioned before the break some paranormal events that are coming up during the summer. There's a whole slate of activities happening at Bay State Paranormal Center, and if you go to baystateparanormalcenter.com, you can find out about them. But they're also helping to put together a paranormal night with the Brockton Rocks, and that's coming up on August 28th. So don't miss your chance to take part in that. Uh, it's going to be a great night. Psychic baseball giveaway as well. So uh, it, it'll be you know, here before we know it and it'll be a terrific night it's a friday night so we're going to try and make it out there and we hope to see you all there as well matt are you going to uh, throw out the ceremonial first pitch
4: um if i do it won't get very far <laughs> uh
2: that's that's the problem is uh, you know we're, we're trying to organize a, a paranormal celebrity softball game uh, in, in terms of this, and I guess you know, I guess we're considered paranormal celebrities because they want us to play. And I'm like really concerned about the athleticism of the three people <laughs> in this room when it comes to softball. So I'm bringing in a ringer. I'm just putting that out there, and I'm not going to throw out any names or give out any details, but I'm working on bringing in a ringer. So we'll let you know when all that's happening because all the money raised will go a charity. It is not <laughs> Daryl Strawberry, believe it or not. <laughs> Is that like the only baseball player you know? Oh,
4: I was trying to think back to the Simpsons episode. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> when they were talking big. Jose Canseco? <laughs> Actually, Jose Canseco <laughs> would be pretty paranormal. Maybe we can get, a uh, Keith Folk. he can come and tell us the ghost stories from the, uh, from, that he told in the book Haunted Baseball by our friend Dan Gordon and Mickey Bradley. So, hey, there, there you go. There's a plug for Dan and Mickey's book. We're good at this stuff. And, uh, speaking of books, uh, I want to say too, uh, there's a, a great new book out on King Philip's War that I was made aware of this week. And, uh, we're going to try to have the authors of that book on in an upcoming episode. Our friend Craig Anderson, who runs the Spooky South Coast fan site, the spooky south blogspot.com site where he archives the show way more often than we do, uh, he actually has a great episode of his new, uh, project called Our History Project. He's got that up there with, uh, Aaron Cadju talking about King Philip's War. Uh, and it was such a great show they had to break it into like three installments uh so if you know I, i'm sure craig would definitely love to hear you know this gentleman and what he has to say and everybody out there who is unfamiliar with king philip's war it'll be a great primer for you so uh, there we go there's some stuff to to promote and to talk about now let's get a little weird
4: Or not. Or not. <laughs> I
2: step away for one second to close the door and total station shutdown. Mercury still retrograde. Alright, well, it's time for the week and weird. More bad news. <laughs> <laughs> well that's oh, so wonderful. Oh,
0: weird. Oh. I feel I feel so very weird.
2: The Week in Weird. Okay, well, my story comes from NPR.org. It's written by Barbara Bradley Haggerty for the program All Things Considered. According to polls, there's a 50-50 chance you've had at least one spiritual experience—an overpowering feeling that you've touched God or another dimension of reality. So, have you ever wondered what those encounters, uh, if they actually happened? or whether they were all in your head? Scientists say the answer might be both because of temporal lobe epilepsy. Some 2,500 years ago, notes uh, Oren Davinsky, who directs the Epilepsy Center at New York University, uh, Hippocrates... Hippocrates. Hippocrates, Hippocrates, really? I'm used to, uh, you know, (laughs) hip-hop. (laughs) Hippocrates Wrote one of the very first texts we have on epilepsy, and he named it On the Sacred Disease. The disease was considered sacred because the ancients thought that sufferers were possessed by demons or blessed with divine messages and visions. Davinsky says neurologists suspect some of the religious giants were actually epileptics themselves. Did Paul hear Jesus on the road to Damascus, or was he experiencing an auditory hallucination? What about Joseph Smith and the two angels, Muhammad, Joan of Arc, and what about Moses in that burning bush? It could have been God. It could have been a seizure. The temporal lobe runs along the sides of the brain, and deep within them is something called the limbic system. This system handles not just sound, smell, and some vision, but also memory and emotion. When people have a seizure in the temporal lobe, it's as if the normal emotions have an exclamation point after them because so many nerve cells are firing in rhythm. People may hear snatches of music drawn from their memory bank or in rare cases interpret it as music from heavenly play, uh, heavenly spheres. They may see a glimpse of light and think it's an angel. Uh, and this uh, author, Barbara Bradley Haggerty, she actually went to a uh, neurologist to try to see if you know, if they can recreate the idea of God by firing off the temporal lobe, and uh, she wore a helmet that was made to simulate her right temporal lobe with weak magnetic fields and create the illusion of God in her head or some sort of sense presence in the room. Uh, when she put the helmet on and she had gog- goggles stuff with napkins to kind of go into a little sensory deprivation, uh, for the next 30 minutes she listened to magnetic fields shift over her skull, and occasionally she would report seeing images or a dark forest. She placed her recorder in the control room, picking up uh, the doctor's comments and hers. And at some point, she said in an almost incomprehensibly muffled voice, there's kind of a rolling darkness, like a battle of darkness, off to my left. Off to my left. And she said that uh, she was right on the verge of having a sensed presence. So there you go. I mean, to, to start stimulating that, she starts seeing this darkness, she starts feeling this feeling off to the side. Is this what these religious hallucinations are? It is definitely something to consider. I personally think that, you know, if people have these religious experiences and they, they had them for a reason, you know, it doesn't have to be independent of this temporal lobe epilepsy. They God could have used that affliction to kind of go to them and give them that vision. That could have been his conduit to getting into them. Then again he's God, you know. You might not have to wait for temporal lobe epilepsy to be able to tell somebody something. Yeah. That's just my opinion. I think God's a pretty powerful guy. <laughs> Mac Hosser, what do you have right. for us
4: from the uh, from the AP in Phoenix, Arizona? NASA officials say it wasn't an alien spacecraft. In Arizona and New Mexico, it was spotted floating far above them in the clear blue sky, just a gigantic research balloon. Federal a- Aviation Administration spokesman Ian Gregor says he got calls all about the object on Monday. Bill Step of NASA's Colombian Scientific Balloon Facility in Palestine, Texas, says. The mysterious flying orb was a 4,000-pound NASA research balloon used to measure gamma ray em- gamma ray emissions. Steph says the balloon usually floats at uh, 130,000 feet and can be seen for about 170 miles on a clear day. Jennifer McCoy, who runs a UFO-themed store in Sedona with her husband, said it looked like a giant bubble from the Wizard of Oz. So... It's just a balloon. Or is it? Or so NASA has a split.
2: <laughs> or so the NASA scientists would have huh? hmm. I want to go to that UFO store. Can you buy a UFO there?
4: Maybe. I don't know.
2: Moniz, you've been to UFO stores, I'm assuming. No
3: comment.
4: All right. <laughs>
2: what do you have for us, Moniz?
4: Maybe they just sell UFO albums.
2: That would be pretty good, too. <laughs> Those are getting harder and harder to come by
4: all so, right. What's an album?
2: Playlist?
3: <laughs> My playlist? All right. What I got comes from the BBC News dot com. For decades, hundreds of people worldwide have been plagued by the elusive buzzing noise known as the hum. Some have blamed gas pipes or power lines. Others think their ears are faulty. Even a few think sinif- sinister forces could be at work. I don't hear anything. (laughs) The hum is a phenomenon that has been reported in towns and cities across the world, from Vancouver, Canada, to Ackland, and New Zealand. In Britain, the most famous example was the so-called Bristol hum that made headlines in the late 70s. One newspaper asked readers in the city, have you heard the hum? Almost 800 people said they had. The problem persisted for years. Residents complained of sleep loss, headaches, sickness, and nosebleeds experts eventually found the trap found traffic and factories were to blame at least one suicide in the UK has been linked with the hum the problem is on the increase according to the low frequency noise sufferers association 2000 people have so far contacted this helpline and it says it receives 2 to 3 new cases every week they are generally over 50 and most are female. So what's the cause? Various features from modern life which have been uh, used to place the blame from gas pipes, power lines, mobile phone masts, wind farms, nuclear waste, even low frequency submarine communications. The internet is abuzz with rumor and speculation. There are dark mutterings about secret military activity, alien contact with government cover ups home even is featured in an episode of the sci-fi drama *The X-Files*. Such conspiracy theories are understandable but unhelpful, according to Dr. David uh, Bagley, who is the head of the audiology who is head of audiology at Aiden Brooks Hospital in Cambridge. He estimates that in about a third of the cases, there is some environmental source that can be tracked down and dealt with. It may be a refrigerator or an industrial fan, or a piece of heavy machinery at a nearby factory. The disturbance can be switched off, he says. Most of the time, however, there is no external noise that can be recorded or identified. His own theory, based on years of research, is that many sufferers have hearing that has become oversensitive.
2: What? Huh? Well, Huh? Actually, I, I thought people's hearing was getting worse. Not better. I'm not oversensitive, anyway. I know I can't hear for crap. And <laughs> you know what's funny, too? Is like, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, you do radio. Or you're in radio, so that would make it, you know, harder to hear. Not really, because a lot of radio is listening, too. You know, it's like, I'm listening to myself talk. I'm not, like, blasting hard rock music in here or anything. So. But, hey, maybe the damage was set a long time ago when I had my Walkman. Remember those days when you had a Walkman? Yep. It's kind of like albums. (laughs) All right, well, that is the Week in Weird for this week. If you have a story you'd like to pass along, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, go to the forum tab, click on the Week in Weird thread, drop the story or a link to it right in there, and if we use it on the air, we'll give you a Spooky South Coast bumper sticker while supplies last. All right, we'll be right back with more, talking with Rob Conover, paranormal investigator and cleanser. He's the author of the book Haunted No More, and you can pick it up on his website, robconover.net which is linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll be back with more right here on Spooky South Coast. They love when we dance. Now is the time on Spooky South Coast when we dance. <laughs> touch my monkey. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. And we do like to have fun, but it is Memorial Day, and we do want to remember those who are no longer with us. And joining us to help us do that is Rob Conover, a paranormal investigator and cleanser. The official cleanser, Rob, of the uh, American Ghost Society, right?
3: You might want to bring him up. <laughs>
2: Yeah, thanks, Bonies. Thanks. You're a real help sitting over there in the chair. (laughs) The the guy doesn't come in the studio for like two months. All of a sudden, he's like uh, the Frank Doremus of the program here, telling us how to work all the equipment. (laughs) Inside joke. Inside joke. (laughs) All right, well, uh, Rob, as I was was saying, uh, you are the official cleanser of the American Ghost Society, Troy Taylor's group.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, Troy uh, made me that a few years ago when I first met him.
2: And uh, he has an interesting nickname for you as well, right?
1: Uh, he started calling me R.D. for a real deal.
2: And to get that kind of uh, vote of confidence from Troy is is pretty impressive.
1: Well, Troy, uh, I like Troy right off the bat because he's very skeptical, just like I am. And uh, he decided to try me out on a few of the cases that were, people were calling him about. And uh, after the first three or four where people were calling him back saying, yeah, it's great. You know, it's it's. Everything's over. Nothing's happening anymore. He did a great job and all that. That's when he started calling me RD.
2: And so what is the process? Uh, we, we talked a little bit about how you um, found out that you have this ability, but what is the process for you now to incorporate uh, the ability that you have into paranormal investigation?
1: Well, like you, like we were talking about before, when I first started out, it was just me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't have a team. I, it, it, was, you know, it was just me and my Bible. We go into the house. I always, uh, from the get-go, I always liked to do it in the dark. I like, you know, if there was a certain room or a certain place where I'd find the spirit, I would uh, go in in the dark in order for them to show me more things and for me to let them know I wasn't afraid, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, whatever the spirit was. And uh, that's the way I did it for many, many years. And now, you know, when people started wanting uh, evidence and uh, things like that, that's when I incorporated the team into it. But what the team does and what I do are separate. The team goes in, they set up their equipment, they they uh, get their evidence and whatever, and then I go in and do what I do. Uh, this is a uh, this is just to gather evidence for the people so they have something they can actually see and mm-hmm. say, "Yes, I'm not crazy. Look, this this was here in my house or whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, I like uh, for years, I I you know people. Never, They just wanted it over with and done. They didn't really care. But now it seems like they want this evidence. So that's when I acquired my team, and I have a very good team. The CPI team is uh, pretty top-notch. They've got the equipment, and they know what they're doing, and they have a certain way of doing things. and uh, That doesn't interfere with what I do.
2: And when you are doing what you're doing, uh, do you find which is probably – Drawing more of a response from the spirit, you know what you're attempting to do, or what the team is attempting to do.
1: Well, uh, when I walk into a house, the first thing I do is, is I have an interview with the people, of course, and then I do a walkthrough. When I do this walkthrough, I can sense where the spirit's at,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, from my sensing of where the spirit's at, is where the team sets up their equipment to get their 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 evidence, and. Then I start talking to the spirit, and I get the spirit's attention. And from that conversation, I find out why that spirit is there, why it hasn't crossed over. A lot of times it's a problem that they need solved, and I try to help them solve the problem. Uh, My belief is, this is just my belief, uh, when when we die and we're confronted by that light, a lot of times we don't go through that light because we have guilt about something we did while we were alive that uh, we feel we might be punished for. We feel, or there's something we feel we need to finish, or something we need to tell someone, or we were just evil, and we're pretty sure that if we go through that light, we're going to hell. And uh, those are the reasons they stay back, but uh, in the process of what I do, uh, even with the bad ones, I take the time, and I figure it out, and I help them realize that they want to go through that light.
2: It it seems like, you know, when, when spirits are confronted with that light, we hear all the time, you know, they have unfinished business and they have you know reasons that keep them behind but your theory is very interesting to me that that light could also be a bad thing for them at least in in their belief
1: in their beliefs
2: but
0: you and i've
1: also run across spirits dominant spirits that have kept other spirits with them because they didn't want to be alone by telling them that that light was hell
2: but in in your belief though, once they step into that light no matter how bad of a person they are they're going to at least face God's judgment first? Is that what, what exactly.
1: you're thinking? Um, one of my favorite sayings, especially to the bad ones, is what you have to realize is the worst of God's judgment is still better than the best of the devils. Mm-hmm. And um, they've, they've quoted me saying that on a couple of those shows you mentioned earlier. But um, it's each case is different, and each case is, is, a, is a puzzle, and it comes down to figuring out you know, with the help of the spirit, what the problem is and why they're actually still there.
2: So uh, while you're trying to to make connections with the spirit, I mean, I've got to assume a number of them probably jump right at the fact that there's somebody who's able to communicate with them. But how much work is it sometimes to actually track them down and to get them to respond to the fact that you're there?
1: Well, a lot of it depends on location. And I learned a long time ago in one of my very first big cases that, because you find one spirit, you just don't assume that was all that was there. You always go back through the house to make sure there's not another spirit in the house. And uh, the the way I learned that was a very hard way, (laughs) because I had dealt with a very pleasant uh, lady and had helped her cross over and thought, well, that's it, ba-ba-boom, because I was very uh, inexperienced at the time and left. And three days later, I get a call from this woman saying, uh, "This other spirit's there. It's very mean. It's doing very ornery things." And I have to, I had to go back to the house. And so from now on, when I whenever I do a case in a house, I always go back through the house to make sure there's nothing else there.
2: And if you go back through, and, and you mentioned a number of the cases that are in the book, Haunted No More, that once you have help the spirit move on. And when you take the homeowners through the house, uh to check you know, just to make sure that there's an all clear there, that you do get a sense of, you know, whatever presence is there is no longer there, kind of a sense of relief. It's,
1: it's almost immediate when when a, when a spirit leaves the area, when it's gone, the entire atmosphere changes. I mean the heaviness is gone, the tension's gone, it's uh calm, it's it's normal home. Um I've had, uh, and then of course I always have the homeowners go through the house too, and they come back shaking their heads, saying, "My God, it doesn't even feel like the same place."
2: Have you ever encountered a, a human spirit that you couldn't help move on? That, you know, no matter what you tried, they they were unable to get into that light.
1: Um, that's an interesting question, and if you'd have asked me that uh, six months ago, I'd have had to say yes. Uh, I deal with a uh, a, a local hospital, an abandoned mental institution that uh, I started investigating years ago. And I helped uh, 28 spirits leave that uh, that place. But there were two spirits, and I called them Ed now because they never would tell me their name, that avoided me like the plague. And if I took anybody in there with me, they went out of their way to scare them to death. And uh, just as I was really getting into trying to get these two spirits to cross over, uh a fellow bought the place and shut it down and wouldn't let anybody in. So I had to wait a period of seven years before I could actually get back into the, the hospital to deal with those two spirits. And when, when I did, I did get them to leave.
2: It, it just seems like, uh, you, you know, once they become aware of what the situation is, and once you tell them, you know, that no matter what, you know, they will be at least facing God's judgment, I, I think you know, very few are going to want to stay behind, especially if they've been around for a long time, you know, they might kind of just be done with this at that point.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, in my, in my, my point of view, they put themselves in a self-imposed purgatory, um, uh, a place between the two worlds that it's kind of like a prison, you know, they can't talk to that side. They can't talk to this side. So it's kind of a release. I'm giving them a release. I'm giving them an opportunity in my point of view to go to heaven and, um, uh, why would why would you turn down an opportunity to go to heaven? You
2: know exactly, and no, but not all the spirits that you've encountered are necessarily, uh, you know, humans that are happy to go into the light. I've, a,
1: sent people, I've sent some. I've sent some spirits into the darkness.
2: There's, there's some a great very story. evil ones. Yeah, yeah. About the devil's angels. That that sent a chill down my spine as I was reading it. Which you know probably my fault for reading it at two o'clock in the morning too. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I, I, I. You know, people have have uh, contacted me and and they. I like to use the term demons a lot, and uh, um, I call them devil's angels, Uh, mainly uh, spirits not born of this earth is is the way I look at it, put here to cause trouble, to to wreak havoc, uh, to find people that are emotionally upset and push them over the edge. It's like that's their job. And, you know, when when a man that uh,
0: uh,
1: all of a sudden, uh, when he walks into the house, starts becoming... uh, uh, very angry, uh, starts treating the wife different, starts yelling at the kids, and and they're wondering what it is. Is there pressure at work? But then they notice that when he walks out of the house, he's normal again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's when I know that those black spirits are are at work there in that in that house.
2: And and the way you described your encounter with, with the one in the book, I it's just creepy the way that it kind of go you know tries to goad you in, and, and it can appear before you. Uh, is uh, you must have obviously you know you're very strong in your faith, uh, but you must have to do all kinds of protection for yourself when going up against these types of uh, entities.
1: My protection is my faith. Before I, before I got into this, my I had my my faith was almost gone. I lost some people very close to me, and I, I started doubting even the presence of God at that time. But after all of that took place and happened to me. I realize there is a God, and I have probably more faith than any five people you know. And I've I've had people; I've even had people on my team say, "Are you sure you want to go in there by yourself?" And I said, "Yes, I'm sure. This is what I have to do." And I made my mind up years ago. I always go forward; I never back up, no matter what it is.
2: And I know that you use your Bible as as a as a tool and against some of these types of creatures, probably as a as a weapon. But well, I...
1: it it actually. Actually, I use the Bible to let them know for sure what side I'm on. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if for me to just walk in by myself, they have to get to know and trust me. When I walk in with a Bible in my hand and tell them that God has sent me there to help them, um, that it, it speeds up that trust process of them believing me.
2: Have have you encountered spirits that you know the Bible means nothing to them? Have you encountered anything where it's like where, you know, hey, I'm I'm not you know a believer into that stuff, or or is it once you reach that point and once you've passed on, you know, you, you become aware that maybe the Bible's right. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I'll tell you exactly. I just finished a case in Texas where the <clears throat> excuse me, the main spirit that was there was so evil that when he was given the opportunity to go to the light and face God and or the alternative of being cast out into the darkness and, and eventually facing the devil or whatever, he was so evil and convinced that he wouldn't be welcome in heaven, I guess, he took the ladder. He went into the darkness. And, and that really kind of floored me that he did that. You know, uh, no. Uh, you know, I explained to him, no matter what you've done, if you show enough faith to go through that light and stand before God's judgment, he'll show you his love, his mercy, and his forgiveness. That's the way I put it to him. But this man was so evil and had done some, some terrible things in the last 10 years to the person living in that home that he chose the latter and went through the, into the darkness.
2: Wow. That's a little creepy, too.
1: <laughs> well, the the man was. Very creepy, and, and doing some very creepy things, and uh, like I said, you know, I, and when when you get into the, I realize that I walk a fine line with my beliefs, but I'm always um, I'm a very skeptical person about a lot of things. I don't believe anything till I see it, but in my in my beliefs and the way I do what I do, I walk that fine line between uh, scientific par- and paranormal and religious. Um, groups one on either side of me i can probably make either side pretty mad at me but uh, it's my belief that's that's what i believe and i stick by it
2: well when you can make somebody angry it means you're doing your job right rob
1: well then i'm doing it really well
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right why don't we take our last break of the night when we come back rob i want to get your thoughts on on some of these other paranormal investigators and and what they claim about you know not being able to, to help spirits move on and uh, I'm sure that uh you've encountered some of that, so we'll get into that in just a few minutes. If you'd like to call in with a question, give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. You can also email us, spookycrew at and you can pop the question into the chat room at Spooky South Coast TV as well. Hello to everybody that's in there. Dale Jr. fan, glad you finally made it in. Hopefully you got your bumper sticker. Alright, we'll be right back with more. And yes, I do stand during the show all the time here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and our guest for the evening, Rob Conover. If you'd like to go to Rob's website, it's robconover.net, linked up right on the front page of spookysouthcoast.com. You can find out more about him, about his team, CPI, and also about his book, Haunted No More, which is available through the website, and it's actually on sale right now through the website as well. And it's a a great story for somebody that's a, a great... Introduction to exactly what goes through the process of paranormal investigation and how somebody decides to become a paranormal investigator. Obviously, Rob's journey is a little bit different than most, but you know, we all start off a little bit skeptical and he started off very skeptical. And Rob, as, as we now know, you know, that the new trend in paranormal investigation with all this media coverage uh, surrounding the field is to be extremely skeptical. And part of that is that people some investigators refuse to believe that you can actually help spirits move over. I mean, we've seen it on ghost hunters, too, where, you know, they'll say, hey, we can come and document that it's there, but, you know, we don't help it move on. We don't help it go to the other side. Do you think just not enough people have this ability or not enough people have become aware that they might have this ability?
1: Well, maybe maybe it is the latter, that not enough people uh, become aware that they have the ability. Yeah, I have met a lot of people who tell me they're, they're very sensitive. You know, and that's that's the first part of it. But I think the other part of it is they're afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think, "Yeah, I'd love to see a spirit." And then they start thinking, "Well, maybe I wouldn't." You know, I, I've actually I've had my members, a member of my own team, who is very sensitive, and uh, but there's that fear that keeps them back, keeps them from moving forward of how they will react when they see a spirit. And uh, I, I think uh, with me, it was never, fear was never even involved in it. I mean, uh, um, it happened. I saw it. I wanted to see more. And the first time I sent a spirit through the light, it was like I was hooked. Uh, but uh, like I said, with a lot of people, I, th- I think fear is a big factor in it. And I think with some skeptics, uh, a ghost could come in and sit on their lap and they'd say, ah, a hologram. would not believe it yeah you know no matter what
2: i I mean I'm skeptical about about the process of being able to help spirits cross over, not that you know because i I don't think that what you're doing is is legitimate, but because I'm not sure I haven't come to the determination in my own experiences that ghosts are necessarily you know dead people, and that might just be through the investigations I've done, what I've encountered um
1: well that you know that that goes back to what we said at the very beginning you know, what I said at the very beginning. You know, I don't try to change people's um, own ideas about things. Mm-hmm. I can only share what has happened to me and what I've learned from it, which has put me to where I am today. I uh, want you know, usually when when I do seminars at colleges and stuff, one of the first questions I get is, how do you deal with skeptics? And I say, I don't deal with skeptics. I am a skeptic. You know, don't believe it just because Rob Conover said it. Believe it because you see it, because it, it happened to you.
2: Yeah, and I, I think that's where you know we're we're both coming at an investigation through you know bringing a different toolbox along. You know, I I don't have the ability that you have, or I haven't you know figured out how to develop it if I did have it, and so therefore. You know, uh, I'm less likely to believe this. And that might be what a lot of these investigators are in the same position of where, you know, they they would believe it if they saw it. And I know that in the book you mentioned that there are some people who've been there when you've moved spirits on that have seen the light, that have seen, you know, that process when it happens.
1: I've had people that have actually seen the spirit when I saw it. I've had people that um, haven't seen it but heard the mumbled voices during the conversation. And in 20 years, I've had two people that actually saw the spirits go through the light.
2: What is the light? and What does it look like to you? What does it appear to you as?
1: Well, it appears to me as this beautiful blue, almost like a doorway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mixed with different light colors, white. And uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's uh, something you never forget. Now, I've... Uh, I mentioned my son earlier. He went on a case with me one time, and when I see the light, I see that beautiful blue light. When people don't see that light, they see me walking into the darkness. And in this particular case we were on, the gentleman was was a little afraid and wanted a little bit of help getting through that light, so I walked with him to the light. And my son became a little upset because he said, all of a sudden, I wasn't there. Hmm. And he didn't know what had happened to me. And as soon as I said, there you go, he's gone, he's through the light, turned around, he goes, there you were again. But for that few moments there that he couldn't see me, he thought I was actually gone.
2: So your your physical body almost kind of <clears throat> helped him walk into the light?
1: Yeah, I, I don't walk into the light, I walk them to the light. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: Do you I, think that if you did walk into the light, you know, that'd be the end of Rob Conover, or...?
1: Well, it's not a situation I really want to find out the answer to right
2: now. <laughs> You'll find out in time, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll, get time there. Comes.
1: I'll get there, but I'm not in a hurry. I'm like everybody else. everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die mm-hmm. and But I do want to help those spirits cross over
2: It's you know we see in the movies you know we see the the psychic selling spirits step into the light, step into the light, and it it seems like you know in the Hollywood portrayal of it it's it's very cut and dry. Uh, but Not, there must be such a wealth of emotions coming from the spirit uh, when that happens.
1: There, I've seen spirits go from being very angry to crying, asking me questions: uh, "Will I be punished? What will happen?" And questions that I I can't answer. All I all I tell them is that: "Well, you you show enough faith to go through that light and stand God's judgment. He'll show you His love and mercy and forgiveness." I can't tell them exactly what. What's going to happen? I don't know. I've never been over there, mm-hmm. but it's not—it's not cut and dried. I've—I've watched psychics on TV where they've answered questions for people who—who uh, said they had spirits in their house, and I've—I've I've seen them say, "Oh, well, it's—it's it's an end and—and they're upset. Just tell them to go through the light. And I—I'd I sit and so, say to myself, "God, if it was just that easy, <laughs> you know, I—I—I I, I wouldn't have to go out there and do it again. I could do it over the phone. Just tell them to go through the light, you know."
2: Is, is is there any instances of where once a spirit has crossed over, it can still communicate with those who are still uh, back on this plane?
1: Oh,
0: absolutely,
1: <clears throat> absolutely. A spirit, when they cross over, uh, and I tell people this that come to my office all the time is, they usually come to you in your dreams. A uh, loved one passes away, and all of a sudden you start having dreams about them. And if you look at those dreams, you're getting little messages from them. And uh, in extreme cases, in one case that I love. Uh, A woman was uh, washing dishes in her house. Her five-year-old son was playing in the backyard. Her father had been dead for 10 years. As she's washing dishes, she hears her father's voice say, Go check on James. And she said it was like he was still alive. She said, I didn't even hesitate. I dropped the dishes, went out in the backyard. Her little boy had fell, hit his head, and rolled in the pool. And she pulled him out and uh, kept him from drowning because she listened to what her father said, who had been dead for 10 years.
2: So, and when you're doing readings for people and when you're trying to, to help them communicate, you know, it, it can be ones that have passed over and, and can still come back. Is well, it see, pass-
1: that, that's that's the, another situation where I have no control over it. Mm-hmm. I've had people come in and sit down and say, I want to speak to Aunt Mary. And I say, well, you know, I can't call Aunt Mary up. If Aunt Mary wants to talk to you, she'll have to come through herself. And a lot of times it's somebody else that comes through but they come through and they say something usually immediately that lets the person know who they are. But I don't, I can't go in and and call them up. You know, I wish I could, but I can't.
2: Do you find uh, that a lot of these spirits, uh, once they've crossed over, once you've helped them cross over, do they ever come back to you, you know, in a, a silent moment of reflection where you're just maybe sitting on the couch and nothing's going on? Do you ever get messages from them, you know, letting you know that they're over there?
1: That's a good question. Because there's been times when I am alone where all of a sudden I'm thinking about a case and I'm thinking about a certain spirit that I helped cross over. And I'll get a feeling about that. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a very good feeling. And I figure maybe that's their way of telling me everything's
2: okay. You know, it might be uh, beneficial uh, to to maybe say to one of these spirits when you're helping them cross over, hey, when you get over there, you know, maybe later on, come back to me and let me know what's over there. Then we can go on Oprah and talk about
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes right back to people telling me, "Have you ever asked them where the gold's buried?" You know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Or ask ask them if they can tell us, you know, what the lottery numbers will be tomorrow. You
1: know, when I that, that's that's very interesting question too, Tim. Because when I first started this, I actually made a list of questions that I was going to ask the spirit before it crossed over mm-hmm. that I wanted answers to. But for some reason, in all the years, even though I had that list right there in my pocket i never thought about that those questions i was dealing with the spirit and and caught up in with what the problem was and i never ever brought that list out or never even thought about the question
2: you know i do that all the time though for radio i come up with questions and i never remember to ask them either I,
1: you know i think there are certain questions we're not supposed to know the answer exactly. to until we get there
2: exactly and I know I don't know how much you want to, you want to talk about this now but I know that there is a a case that you're working on that you're trying to raise some funds for. Oh, it's
1: over. We did it.
2: That's the one that you're talking about in Texas?
1: Texas. Yes, we did. And
2: how how things work out with that?
1: Uh she's called me about every other day thanking me. It was uh 10 she was she put up with that for 10 years.
2: And you got you were able to take care of the funding and everything?
1: The, it came out of the woodwork. I, I didn't even I didn't even call anybody and ask for money. I mean, the money people called me and said, "You got to go help this person, and we want to help." And um, in a week and a half, we had all the money we needed. We we drove down, took care of it, and drove back.
2: And now that was documented in a film.
1: Uh we've got we've got a lot of film we got to go through yet.
2: All right, well, just keep us up to date. Of course, you'll be keeping me up to date. But
1: the uh, the interesting thing about that particular. Uh, um, case mm-hmm. was you know i never i've never done an afternoon investigation um i always like to do it at night and in the dark and in this particular case the woman was having stuff happening all the time all day so after i'd uh, done the interview and talked with her at great length i said we're going to set up some equipment here and it's broad daylight It was like one o'clock in the afternoon And i said we're going to leave for a while and i just want you to go about your daily routine and we left for about two and a half hours we came back the team started going over their evidence. We had EVPs. We had stuff on film. Um, we had her reactions to sounds in the house, uh, stuff I'd never picked up in the middle of the day like that on film and on, on tape. It was, it was pretty amazing to me.
2: Well, we definitely look forward to seeing the uh seeing the results of that and definitely keep us up to date if uh if that does come together and we'll be happy to talk to you more about the case and maybe get the people involved if you know if they're willing to talk a little bit more about it
1: oh I'm sure she would be.
2: All right. Well, Rob Conover was our guest tonight. His book is Haunted No More. It's available at his website, robconover.net, and you can get to that through our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, and also through the website PowerRelations.com as well, because Rob is a client of Power Relations. Just want to make sure we mention that one more time for any, uh, any <laughs> legal disclaimers that we have to throw in there. Alright, Rob, thanks for joining us and I look forward to talking to you again real soon.
1: It's been a pleasure, Tim.
2: Uh, the pleasure was all ours and, and keep doing what you're doing and if we ever need anything, you know, cleansed around here, we'll give you a call. But, uh, I can tell you now around here some of the spirits we have are good for business. Mm-hmm. You know, like deal business. with
1: ghosts, not spooks.
2: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, stay uh, stay tuned here on WBSM in the coming weeks, because we're going to be having a lot more conversations like this one here, with like we had with Rob Conover, about the paranormal. We've got uh, so many shows lined up, I can tell you. We've been talking plans like you wouldn't believe uh, about just some interesting ideas coming up. We still want to have our skeptical battle uh, coming up in the next few weeks, and we're, we're going to be... Uh, I, I wish I could let the cat out of the bag on some of the stuff that we have planned. Uh, one thing that we are definitely putting together is another old-time radio night. For those who enjoyed the last one, and I'm still getting emails from people telling me how great it was, Uh the same writing crew, uh Becky, Jim, and Paul, have put together another script that they're putting the finishing touches on, and it's going to be uh, an interesting night. And They're talking about, instead of doing just one central piece, doing a number of different things, kind of like a, a night gallery type storytelling night so that that's going to be phenomenal uh i have great faith in the the actors that we can pull together to put this on after doing last year <laughs> we were scared crapless last year matt costa that it wouldn't work out but now we know we can pull it off so we'll have more details about that as it's coming up and just stay tuned to spooky south and also the twitter feed at spooky sc twitter.com slash spooky sc to find out more so, until next time, for Matt Costa for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spectacular.
3: Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been.
1: It's over for now, it seems. Or at least until yesterday begins again.
0: Tomorrow tomorrow tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does